Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today we're going to check back in with one of the biggest transactions in gaming history, that of course being Microsoft's pending purchase of Activision Blizzard for just under $70 billion. If you want all of the twists and turns in the road so far, please do check out the Microsoft Times Activision playlist that we've got set up. But this video should serve as a useful summary of at least some of the subjects that we have spent so long discussing already. Now, because Activision is a public corporation in the United States, they have to file public documentation with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, in order to tell investors and prospective investors just what's going on. One of those things that they have to file is when they're going to request people, shareholders, investors in their company to vote on something. And we call that request a proxy statement. Now, you might recall here in virtual legality, we actually went over the preliminary proxy statement from the middle of February that Activision had put forth on this very webpage. It was this preliminary proxy statement that actually got them sued by a number of folks for claims that their proxy statement was misleading. That proxy statement hadn't gone out to investors yet, but those specific claims are still pending as the definitive proxy statement was put up on their site, filed with the SEC as of yesterday. This is what we would expect investors of Activision Blizzard to actually receive. And though this proxy statement looks a lot like the proxy statement we reviewed earlier when we were talking about how this deal went down, it also includes a few additional nuggets of information, some of which is actually what happened in the last month since that preliminary document was originally filed. And I think there's a lot of useful stuff here. Certainly, a lot of folks are coming into my comments on social media otherwise to discuss the matter with me on when is this thing going to get done? What are the next milestone signposts that we are likely to see? And this is a big one. This is where Activision goes and tells its shareholders that you all need to vote for this merger. The board has negotiated it with Microsoft, but the board doesn't own the company. The board recommends that you, the shareholders of Activision Blizzard, approve this merger. If you don't, this merger isn't going to go through. Bad things are going to happen. And we're not going to cover all of that specifically in this document, as you might be able to see at the top of your screen here. It's 208 pages of material. To be fair though maybe not a lot better, the statement itself is only about 110 pages. Then they affix the entirety of the merger agreement on to the back. We're not going to go over that at all. We've done that before in this playlist. But in the 110 pages of proxy materials here, there are some useful things to pull out. So let's take a look there. So first you see the letters dated March 21st, 2022. It's to call a special meeting of the stockholders to be held at the end of April, April 28th, 2022, to be precise. At the special meeting, you will be asked to consider and vote on a proposal to adopt the agreement and plan of merger dated as of January 18th, 2022, which we refer to as the merger agreement, Bind Among Activision Blizzard, Microsoft Corporation, which we refer to as Microsoft, and Anchorage Merger Sub Inc., which we refer to as Sub, a wholly owned subsidiary of Microsoft. And if you're interested in why there are so many entities here, you can check out videos that we've done in the playlist that talk about how a reverse triangular merger works. And this is going to be affected as a merger, but for all practical purposes, if you're not invested in mergers and acquisitions law, then what you're looking at is Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard entirely. It will no longer be Activision Blizzard when this is all done. It will be a subsidiary of Microsoft. If the merger is completed, you will be entitled to receive 
$95 in cash. And the Activision Blizzard Board of Directors, after considering the reasons more fully described in this proxy statement, unanimously determined that the terms of the merger agreement and the transactions contemplated thereby are advisable, fair to, and in the best interests of Activision Blizzard and its stockholders and declared advisable, approved, and authorized in all respects the execution and delivery of the merger agreement by Activision Blizzard, the performance by Activision Blizzard of its obligations thereunder, and the consummation of the transactions contemplated thereby upon the terms and conditions set forth therein. So the board says, this is all good. This is good for the company. This is good for you guys. And so we're going to recommend that you vote for the merger agreement, for the compensation that's going to happen after that, and for an extension period for collecting four votes if we wind up needing one to actually get this merger across the finish line. Now, before we continue with this kind of discussion, the one thing I will note here is that it's still very likely that the shareholders are going to approve this even with everything that we have seen happening with Activision, because as many have pointed out in the comments and is very often the case with public corporations of any type, a lot of Activision Blizzard is owned by what we call institutional investors, right? You see purchases made at the end of last year from Berkshire Hathaway, Capital Research, Nomura Securities. Their biggest owners are Vanguard, Capital Research, BlackRock, Fidelity. All of these institutions that for the most part aren't going to go against a board of directors recommendation. These institutions answer to their own equity holders, answer to their own fiduciary responsibilities. And so it's a little bit unusual to see them go against the board in massive, massive ways. Some of these are more activist than others. BlackRock is pretty known for activism uh, in trying to get boards to do various things. But I would strongly suspect that what you will see at the top of May is the shareholders approving this deal. Now, it's also worth noting on this page, and we can see it again in the Activision stock price page that I use uh, pretty often, that this is still a discounted price. We just saw it's $95 per share if this thing goes through. At $79.08, as I say this, you're looking at something like 83% of that $95 amount, which dovetails nicely to what I have said in a number of videos in this playlist, which is, I think it's about an 80% chance of success. And when I say success, that doesn't mean that there couldn't be a consent decree, a settlement agreement with the FTC or other regulators, but that whatever form that might take, it wasn't going to materially alter what it was that Microsoft was purchasing. Maybe on the margins, change some things, maybe promise certain things about how you're going to operate for certain periods of time, but not ultimately change the overall picture of what this deal is. I give that still about an 80% chance of going through just fine. Of course, one in five is nothing to shake your head at. And the investment community appears to be valuing the chances at something along those lines. There's other things going into that, of course, besides just regulatory approval. But we still see a price that if you think this deal is 100% likely to go through, you're going to get a good discount on what would be $95 asset uh, in your pocket. So it's still interesting. It's still an interesting state of affairs. You're also seeing some kind of time value of money incorporated here because we don't know when this is going to happen. A lot of people are asking me about that. We'll see that Activision itself says we don't know what is going to happen here, when it's going to happen, when regulators are going to approve these things. But we're also going to talk about the process a little bit so maybe we can get a little bit of a feel for it. Now, as long as we're talking about investors, before we go back to the proxy statement, there are a couple of stories uh, that I haven't touched on in this space uh, because they just didn't fit in uh, to the scheduling that I was doing and they weren't big enough for videos on their own. But one of those is what the Wall Street Journal reported a couple of weeks ago. Federal prosecutors and securities regulators are investigating large bets that Barry Diller, Alexander von Furstenberg, and David Geffen made on Activision Blizzard Inc. shares in January, just days before the video game maker agreed to be acquired by Microsoft Corp., according to people familiar with the matter. 
And Ars Technica picks up the reporting there. It says, film and music executive David Geffen, broadcasting executive Barry Diller, and Diller's stepson Alexander von Furstenberg collectively spent over $108 million to buy $40 share call options of Activision Blizzard stock on January 14th, according to the report. On January 18th, when the Microsoft merger plans were announced, those shares rose 26% to 8231, representing an unrealized gain of about 60 million for the three investors. Obviously, it's a little bit lower now, as we were just discussing. The value of those options could increase further if the merger goes through at Microsoft's proposed per share price of $95. Of course, we just talked about, of course, in an inflationary environment, that's not quite how things are going to work. There's a discount for that value of money and the fact that this might take a year or more uh, from now. But certainly worth noting that in respect of a company that has all these sorts of issues with public views on how it's operating, there is an open investigation apparently about whether or not some insiders at Activision handed over information about what was happening here, right? So if you're looking at this chart, you're talking about somebody that bought in here, they paid extra money to get calls that were actually lower than this, and then a couple of days later, this happens and they can divest themselves, they can keep them, whatever it is that they're going to do with those contracts. This is the kind of thing where an insider can tell you, hey, we got a deal cooking, Microsoft's going to announce it tomorrow, uh, and this is what insider trading laws are all about. Now, people have also asked me whether that would scuttle the deal. No, this is bad actors uh, within the company, potentially. You could have lawsuits and things like that, but as we will see as part of this discussion, Activision already has a whole ton of lawsuits about this transaction, about their employment principles, about harassment, and all sorts of stuff. So in actuality, one of the reasons why this deal might go through potentially even more easily than it would otherwise is that there's probably a class of investors that want to wash their hands of all this. When we go and we look at the regulator section, when we go look at the legal section, you'll see just a whole ton of lawsuits and problems that Activision Blizzard has right now, many of which, of course, we know from our discussions here in virtual legality. Getting back to this statement, we see your vote is very important, regardless of the number of shares that you own. We cannot complete the merger unless the proposal to adopt the merger agreement is approved by the affirmative vote of the holders of a majority of the shares of Activision Blizzard common stock, outstanding and entitled to vote thereon. Some of you have asked me whether this requires unanimous approval of the shareholders. No, it absolutely does not. That is not possible in most instances when we're talking about these things. So what you're looking at is a majority of the shareholders. And there are ways that Delaware law, which Activision Blizzard is a Delaware corporation, gives the minority, if they're going to disapprove of the deal, ways to try to extract additional value. We talked about those in earlier videos in the series. They are called appraisal rights. And you can actually go and ask the Delaware courts to value the company separately than Microsoft did, that Activision Blizzard did in looking at this particular deal. Will that actually be done? Will that be useful to the investors that might otherwise complain about this? That's always an open question. It's always a process when you have to go through the court system. Of course, investors of Activision Blizzard have shown no reticence in using the court system against the company in the past few months alone. Now, as I said, this is 110 pages of proxy statements. So part of this video will be me scrolling through this. If you think terms of service or end user license agreements that we regularly talk about in the space are bad, proxy statements for a major merger, a 70 billion or near $70 billion merger are even worse, right? They don't want to lose those lawsuits that say they're being misleading. They want to provide all the information that they can in order for their shareholders to not win those lawsuits and from a more beneficial standpoint to get the right information out to those shareholders. 
Now we also see here a brief summary of what I am talking about. So we're in essentially the, the headline, almost the table of contents of the proxy statement. And these are all leading to other pages. You see regulatory approval, see page 69, legal proceedings regarding the merger, see page 71. We're gonna check on those pages as we talk about them in this video. But we can also get a lot of information from these summaries. So the regulatory approvals are exactly as we've discussed before. Under the merger agreement, the merger cannot be completed until the applicable waiting period under the hart scott Rodino Antitrust Improvements Act of 1976 is amended, which we refer to as the HSR Act, has expired or been terminated. So we'll talk about that process a little bit more in order for everybody to be on the same footing here when we talk about the dates that just happened. And the approval or clearance of the merger has been granted under the antitrust and foreign investment laws of certain specified countries. For more information, go see page 69. On the legal side, you get a very good summary of what is happening here at a very high level. Following the announcement of the transaction, complaints were filed in... <sighs> The United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, the United States District Court for the Eastern District of New York, the United States District Court for the Central District of California, the United States District Court for the Eastern District of Pennsylvania, and the United States District Court for the District of Delaware against Activision Blizzard and its directors. And then they give you the citations for all of those. The complaints each assert violations of Section 14A and Section 20A of the Exchange Act, which we went over when we talked about shareholders suing Activision Blizzard on these grounds, and allege that the preliminary proxy statement filed in connection with the proposed transaction between Activision Blizzard and Microsoft omitted certain purportedly material information which rendered the preliminary proxy statement incomplete and misleading. Specifically, the complaints allege that the preliminary proxy statement failed to disclose material information regarding the sales process, Activision Blizzard's projections and the financial analyses of Activision Blizzard's financial advisor. The complaints seek, among other things, an order to enjoin the transaction unless and until additional disclosures are issued and, if the transaction closes, damages. The Watson complaint, one of these specifically cited, also alleges that Activision Blizzard's directors entered into the transaction for self-interested reasons, including receipt of personal benefits in the transaction. It is possible additional lawsuits against Activision Blizzard, the Activision Blizzard board of directors, or Activision Blizzard's officers may be filed prior to the consummation of the transaction. So you actually have one of these complaints alleging a breach of fiduciary duties of the Activision board directly. We talked about that kind of concept earlier in this space in a video we did with a thumbnail called How Phil Hustled Bobby, that hustled there being of two uses, primarily meaning that Phil Spencer and Microsoft, more specifically, were making Activision Blizzard act very, very quickly, that this was all coming together very fast, and they were putting doomsday timers on the offers that they were making in order to exert pressure. Nothing wrong with that. That's deal-making. That's negotiation. But that is a part of this story. Now, as I mentioned in that video, I also wasn't terribly impressed by the summary of how the price was negotiated. And as it turns out, some folks at Activision Blizzard are looking through their books and records to determine whether or not there is a complaint to be made against Mr. Bobby Kotick individually. Following the announcement of the transaction, Activision Blizzard also received demands from purported stockholders for books and records pursuant to 8 Delaware 220 which is a specific portion of the law that says a shareholder of a company is entitled to books and records for any legitimate purpose. Among other things, the demands seek to investigate purported breaches of fiduciary duty related to the proposed transaction. Specifically, the demands seek to investigate Mr. Kotick's role in the proposed transaction with one of the demands alleging that Mr. Kotick's position at Activision Blizzard was at risk given workplace issues and he chose to pursue a transaction rather than resign. 
Such demand further alleges that Mr. Kotick agreed to a price range without authorization from the Activision Blizzard Board of Directors and that the Activision Blizzard Board of Directors allowed Mr. Kotick to control the transaction process, that they weren't doing their proper job to rein in one individual who isn't the Board of Directors. Such demand also alleges that the transaction price is inadequate because Microsoft's opportunistic offer took advantage of Activision Blizzard's purportedly depressed stock price and that management may have attempted to validate the consideration through downward adjustments to the long-range plan. Now, if you watched our video earlier on here, you will note that those are almost to an exact point exactly the kinds of complaints that I had with the way that this particular deal was discussed. Setting the prices early, not negotiating properly, and then reference to the fact that once that number comes in, you start to get little bits and pieces of the financial advice saying, hey, we're not worth what we thought we were, that price should be a little bit lower, which in the right context from a certain point of view, some mass media products might suggest, you could say, hey, are you guys actually pushing for a lower evaluation in order to justify the price you are going to recommend to your shareholders? I don't know whether that will go anywhere. That doesn't appear to be a part of a pending litigation, but simply shareholders asking for this information and whether Activision is going to give it to them is an open question of itself. If they don't, and there's a legitimate reason for asking for it, then you'll have another lawsuit saying that they're violating this specific section of the Delaware Code and that they owe this given shareholder that information. In addition, and this might be the shortest summary of what we've talked about now for getting close to a year, we are subject to legal proceedings regarding workplace and employee concerns. This is accurate. They are. They're subject to a lot of legal proceedings about those various things. And that's just summary form, right? From the litigation perspective, this is a good summary. We still have to get into the regulation kind of side of things. But on that point, I did want to point out, and this was a part of the earlier proxy statement, a couple of things. One, Here, in answer to questions that investors might ask, the exact timing of completion of the merger cannot be predicted because the completion of the merger is subject to conditions, including the adoption of the merger agreement by our stockholders and the receipt of regulatory approvals, right? So when you go back and you're thinking about when this might happen, people ask me, hey, could it happen this year? Could it happen later than they even suggest in the middle of next year? The answer is always yes, right? These regulators are third parties that are not subject to Activision Blizzard's control, not subject to Microsoft's control. You might be a little bit more cynical than that and think that there could be pressure put on these agencies or even the administration by these giant companies. You're probably not wrong on the margins, but for the most part, the regulators are going to take their time. Uh, And as we've seen in this given environment, they are going to push for potentially more aggressive use of antitrust law and the review process that they're currently engaged in with tech companies and really with everybody, at least based on the saber rattling that has been done by the FTC of late. Now, we have a long list of reasons why the board gives that they are approving and recommending for the shareholders approval this particular deal. Among them are the fact that this is a premium to the market price. The one that they like to jump out at you is 45% more than the price on January 14th, a couple of days before the deal was announced. Big premium. But the first bullet here actually belies what's happened here a little bit approximately 19.8% over the volume-weighted average closing stock price for the one-year period ended January 14th. So as we've talked about when we've looked at this price, there's a whole bunch of time before this deal goes through where the actual value of Activision was more. (laughs) That what happened here is that this is their big troubles period when everything happens with the DFEH, when their responses are terrible, when the messaging is god-awful. And then this jump up really only takes them back to where market level was uh, in the same calendar year and to some extent less. 
right? So when we talk about $95 a share, we find ourselves at this number here, and there's already days earlier in the year that that was happening. So when you're going to volume weight based on share transactions and outstanding shares, et cetera, over the course of an entire year, you have to include this whole period when $95 really wouldn't have been a premium at all. So it's a premium at the end. We see that from these premiums from 45% on January 14th, from 50% on volume weighted over the 30 days before then. But over the course of the year, it doesn't look that great. And again, you're supposed to put all this information out here. This is them being transparent, but that's how this deal went down. And that's why you see some irate shareholders talking about the price in particular. They, of course, value the fact that the form of consideration is all cash. They believe it represents fair value. And a fair value is a pretty broad thing, which we've talked about earlier. So yes, this deal price is fair. The question is whether it's maximizing and whether the board did enough in maximizing that price. They say they believe there's growth, that Activision Blizzard's business will be an important focus of Microsoft's growth strategy. Not entirely clear how that's helpful to shareholders that won't any longer have a position in the company. Activision Blizzard's customers will benefit. Again, not really anything that the shareholders will be terribly interested in. The possibility that if the Activision Blizzard board of directors declined, there may not be another opportunity for Activision Blizzard stockholders to receive a comparably priced transaction, which is part of the story as well, because they went out and shopped it a little bit, and you do question whether or not their heart was in it, uh, but they cut off one of the more likely potential other acquirers because Microsoft was pushing them on timing. Again, you can check that out in my earlier video. They say that this was negotiated arm's length. They vigorously negotiated on an arm's length basis with Microsoft with respect to price, including obtaining a price increase by Microsoft from its initial indication of interest at $80 per share to a price of $95 per share, as well as the stated position of Microsoft that the agreed price was the highest price per share to which Microsoft was willing to agree. I don't know how much credence you give to that. Definitely. A lot of the times an acquirer is going to tell you this is the last offer. This is the highest amount that we can actually buy this for. And maybe that's not, in fact, the case. But certainly, you know, $95 is a price that was offered as something that they could go to. It's a very confused uh, negotiation setup. You can definitely check out that video there and decide for yourself whether you think the board is justified in how those particular pricing negotiations were handled, including giving Microsoft a top-line number, uh, allowing them to negotiate their position very specifically. Uh, and then you get into the financials, right? And we're not going to go through these all for one reason, because I'm not an accountant. Uh, but in this particular circumstance, because they went and got this long range plan, because they adjusted downward their expectations for the company, really in the midst of all this, they decided to share this with the investors in the proxy. They put some language in here that says we wouldn't ordinarily do this, uh, which is totally fine. Uh, but you can see that they don't estimate uh, significant growth, certainly early on, uh, and maybe not as much as you would expect to see if you were an investor in a large company with assets like World of Warcraft and Call of Duty behind it. Now that's important as we talked about when we were discussing the regulatory side of things uh, and the litigation side of things, because it's going to be based on those estimates that their financial advisor is going to tell them that this is a fairish price, right? We see this based on the Activision Blizzard forecast, we can start to use various ways of calculating value of a company to say, well, if your forecasts are right, your company's worth 69 to $89 a share in 2022. And really 77 to $91 a share in 2023, probably not even taking into account what would be a rapidly inflationary environment uh, starting especially uh, in this year. Then we can compare these various things to other deals, including Take-Two buying Zynga, Electronic Arts buying Glue, Electronic Arts buying Codemasters, Microsoft buying ZeniMax, pretty important. And we can put all those together and we can find that if you multiply their earnings, and I'm not going to go into all the financials here, but if you multiply their earnings uh, to get to a purchase price, you can see that these purchase prices were all set in a range of between 5.6 times that earnings 
to 29.9 times those earnings. And what these analysis did is that they said, well, we're going to kill the outliers. And so we're going to say it's going to be between 14 times and 20 times. Maybe that's good. Maybe that's not. And at that particular range, you've got an earnings multiple that goes between $72 per share and $99 per share with, of course, the merger consideration being 95. So that falls within the range and we can justify it. How all these things are arrived at, exactly which one of these was 5.6 and 29.9, including Zenimax. This is the most interesting one, right? This is a comparable type of deal made by the acquirer that's actually purchasing you. It isn't separately called out. It would be interesting to see where in that range this particular deal falls. That isn't provided for us. And if you look at things in other ways, if you calculate using different methods, you can come up with a purchase price of $84 to $123 per share. And of course, merger consideration only $95. All of this kind of angels on the head of a pin. We're evaluating $95 only, but the board is trying to show you exactly what they were working with Remembering again that that long-term plan and those estimates for future revenues were reduced as part of this process as they themselves state when they're describing how the merger worked. Then we get to the regulatory things, uh, which are, of course, the focus of everybody this week or these past few days and why I wanted to make this video to inform you as to what was going on here. And that is, of course, with respect to our friends at the FTC, right? If you don't Remember, if you haven't been with us in a while in virtual legality, we generally go over what the Hart-Scott-Rodino requirements are from the Federal Trade Commission. Now, you might also notice they've changed their formatting on this page. Uh, so you can see different administrations emphasizing different things, even with their summaries uh, of these various items. Uh, but the most important thing is when you've got a deal above a certain size, and just under $70 billion is most definitely above that certain size, both parties have to send in a notice to the Federal Trade Commission and the Department of Justice, and then... When that happens, they will evaluate whether or not they think there is a chance that competition will be negatively impacted. You might see this described as monopolizing, but most importantly, it's will competition be negatively impacted? And it doesn't have to be across all of gaming. It can be in very specific business lines, as we'll see described in this particular document. Uh, and they have a 30-day window to do that. For most transactions requiring a filing, both buyer and seller must file forms and provide data about the industry in their own businesses. Once the filing is complete, the parties must wait 30 days 15 days in the case of a cash tender offer or bankruptcy, or until the agencies grant early termination of the waiting period before they can consummate the deal. As we've talked about in the past, in the United States, under Hart Scott Rodino, the FTC and the DOJ don't approve mergers uh, in America. They instead just let windows expire. So if they don't cut off your deal within this 30-day window, if they don't ask for more information, uh, more on that in just a second, then you can go forward with your deal. Now, it doesn't change anything with respect to whether or not they can sue you after the fact. We'll talk about that as well. But you can go forward without violating this particular provision. Step two, you get clearance to one antitrust agency. Parties proposing a deal file with both the FTC and DOJ, but only one antitrust agency will review the proposed merger. Staff from the FTC and DOJ consult, and the matter is cleared to one agency or the other for review. This is really putting paid to the lie that you saw in various gaming journalism outlets earlier in this process that suggested that it was really wild that the FTC was going to review this and not the DOJ. Nothing could really be further from the truth. This is the total normal process that happens, and the FTC has taken a specific interest in tech cases uh, of this type, and it's honestly what we would have expected from the start. Then, step three, the waiting period expires or the agency issues a second request. After the preliminary review of the pre-merger filing, the agency can terminate the waiting period, allow the initial waiting period to expire, or issue a request for additional information, quote unquote, second request 
to each party asking for more information. A second request typically asks for business documents and data that will inform the agency about the company's products or services, market conditions where the company does business, and the likely competitive effects of the merger. The agency may conduct interviews, either informally or by sworn testimony, of company personnel or others with knowledge about the industry. So understand what this process looks like. You file some documents with the FTC or the DOJ, they evaluate them 90 some odd percent of the time, you're just gonna be allowed to do your deal. In those cases where you're not, they're gonna ask for more information and then things get real. They can conduct interviews. They can go ask not just the parties to the transaction, but other parties in the market for how they view this particular transaction, what competition looks like to them, how they think it will be impacted. This is why Microsoft, when they are announcing this thing, says we're trying to get it done by the middle of next year because this is a process. And this process doesn't have a set period of time to end. Right, the earlier process is 30 days from when you send them that initial document. This one is 30 days after both companies have substantially complied with the second request. So here, the FTC can put forth all these documents, all these interviews, all these things that they want from these companies, and then they're the sole arbiter of when the companies have substantially complied. So this is much more like a litigation discovery process at this point with Microsoft and Activision and whole legal teams and financial teams and everyone else putting together documents, going to data rooms, doing various things for the FTC. And that's going to take for a $70 billion deal of two massive corporations months and months and months. Uh, in all likelihood, it's going to take at least three months. And at that point in time, if the FTC wants to pursue something, you find yourself here in step five. They can either close the investigation, whereupon Microsoft and Activision Blizzard could just proceed. They can enter into a negotiated consent agreement, which is a settlement concept, or they can seek to stop the entire thing by filing for preliminary injunction in federal court. Now, interestingly enough, there's actually a bill that's been proposed in Congress, which I don't think has any chance of going through, but which I will cover if it looks like it will go through, that is seeking to change this and allow the FTC to block things without a court order. Now that I think presents a whole host of problems that I'll discuss, as I said, if it goes further than just being a bill introduced in Congress. But right now, as it has been, the FTC basically has to go and seek to have this thing stopped if it wants to have any particular solve for what it sees as a problem. And with the threat of three, they can negotiate for some kind of other settlement. Unless the agency takes some action that results in a court order stopping the merger, the parties can close their deal at the end of the waiting period. In many merger investigations, this website notes, the potential for competitive harm is not a result of the transaction as a whole, but rather occurs only in certain lines of business. One example would be when a buyer competes in a limited line of products with the company it seeks to buy. In this situation, the parties may resolve the concerns about the merger by agreeing to sell off the particular overlapping business unit or assets of one of the merging parties, but then complete the remainder of the merger as proposed. We saw this uh, with Disney uh, buying Fox, being asked to divest certain of Fox's assets. Many merger challenges are resolved with a consent agreement between the agency and the merging parties. This is what you also see Microsoft talk about in public, saying, hey, we don't think we need a consent decree. Because that's a legal document. That's binding. That's a problem. We don't like that. We'll have some informal promises. We'll have some meetings with you, FTC. We'll make sure that you feel like everything's going to be okay. But we'd really prefer not to go through a legal consent decree if we can avoid one. That's why you see the public relations press. That's why you see Microsoft go out there with all the Call of Duty stuff and other stuff that you have seen in the past couple of months. But it's important to note, all of this paragraph is suggestive of an FTC that's looking at things a little bit more aggressively and wants to point out that the 
question here doesn't just end when we say, well, Microsoft will only be the third biggest gaming company. It's actually a question about how that tech works, exactly what they're doing with servers, whatever else it might be, whether Game Pass is something that's a specifically different business line and whether the FTC will characterize it as such, et cetera, et cetera. One thing I have said in this space, however, even giving an 80-20 chance of success is that there was no chance in my mind that this deal at its size for this industry, based on a tech company acquirer, was not going to get the second look, was not going to get the second request from the FTC. And lo, that's exactly what has happened. Activision Blizzard and Microsoft have agreed to use their reasonable best efforts to comply with all regulatory filing and notification requirements. These approvals include approval under or notifications pursuant to the HSR Act and the competition laws of the European Union, the United Kingdom, China, and certain other jurisdictions. If and to the extent necessary to obtain regulatory approval of the merger, Microsoft sub and solely to the extent requested by Microsoft Activision Blizzard will offer, negotiate, commit to, and effect by consent decree, hold separate order or otherwise, the sale, divestiture, license, or other disposition of assets, and any other restrictions on the activities of Activision Blizzard. Notwithstanding the foregoing, Microsoft is not required to offer, negotiate, commit to, effect, or otherwise take any action that would reasonably be expected to have a material adverse impact on Activision Blizzard and subsidiaries taken as a whole, have a material impact on the benefits expected to be derived from the merger by Microsoft, or have a more than immaterial impact on any business or product line of Microsoft. Said another way, these parties have put in their contract and by agreement that they will work with each other on consent decrees and what to file and how to get this across the finish line with these various regulators, but Microsoft doesn't have to just agree on something that would absolutely eviscerate whatever value they would gain from this particular transaction. And then you might find yourself in a dispute about whether or not Microsoft owes the penalty money of between two and $3 billion to Activision, depending on how such a deal failure would go down. More importantly, for purposes of this conversation and the timing conversations that have been asked of me, on March 3rd, 2022, Activision, Blizzard, and Microsoft each received a request for additional information and documentary material, which we refer to as a second request from the FTC in connection with the FTC's review of the transaction. The effect of the second request is to extend the waiting period imposed under the HSR Act until the 30th day after substantial compliance by Activision, Blizzard, and Microsoft with the second request, as determined by the FTC, unless the waiting period is terminated earlier by the FTC or is otherwise agreed between the parties and the FTC. Completion of the transaction remains subject to the termination or expiration of the waiting period under the HSR Act and the satisfaction or waiver of the closing conditions specified in the merger agreement. The parties expect to complete the transaction in Microsoft's fiscal year ending June 30th, 2023, which is exactly what they predicted in their initial press release and the agreement itself. So to make an important point here, nothing has changed based on this particular second request. This is what Microsoft anticipated. This is what Activision Blizzard anticipated. This is what I anticipated. So that 80-20 still there. The timeframes that have been proposed so far still there. Everybody was acting on the assumption that this would happen. And as it turns out, Rightly so. Now, they also note, and this is something that I think especially international viewers of virtual legality uh, don't necessarily understand or find very unusual, at any time before or after consummation of the merger, notwithstanding the termination of the waiting period under the HSR Act, so notwithstanding that they don't do anything to stop us, the FTC or the antitrust division of the DOJ could take such action under the antitrust laws as it deems necessary or desirable in the public interest, including seeking to enjoin the completion of the merger, 
seeking divestiture of substantial assets of the parties or requiring the parties to license or hold separate assets or terminate existing relationships and contractual rights. Regardless of whether this all goes through, the FTC or the DOJ could change its minds the day after, or as we see with Facebook, five, six, seven years after. At any time before or after the completion of the merger and notwithstanding the termination of the waiting period under the HSR Act, any state could take such action under the antitrust laws. State AGs could decide to try to make an example of Microsoft or Activision Blizzard. And such action could enjoin seeking to enjoin the completion of the merger or seeking divestiture of substantial assets of the parties. And private parties may also seek to take legal action under the antitrust laws under certain circumstances. Hey, maybe Epic joins the fray. They like a good antitrust lawsuit, right? Who knows? The point is, is that this really doesn't come out from under the potential problems of a regulator acting for a considerable amount of time. We say it's after consummation of the merger. At some point, it becomes impossible to unwind a transaction like this. Clearly, the FTC doesn't think it's within a decade on the Facebook side of things, but they're going to get some pushback from that company uh, regardless. The important part here is that on March 3rd, 2022, which you'll note is more than a month after January 18th, uh, but puts a framework on when they actually got documentation to the FTC. So probably in early February, on March 3rd, 2022, they got the second request. And now we are in an indefinite timeline. It's until the FTC is happy with the information that they have collected. And if they think that they want to challenge the transaction, it can go even longer. Because at that point, you tell the other side, hey, we're either going to file a federal lawsuit against you or you're going to work with us to actually get a consent decree done. And now you're working on a settlement process between all the parties involved. So that can go even longer if they decide they've got a problem with the transaction. At the same time, Microsoft and Activision Blizzard are going to be working with the European Union. They're going to be working with the United Kingdom. They're going to be working with China. Uh, and a lot of these are maybe going to go slower. The European Union approves deals or they don't approve deals. And so that's a different process. And as an American lawyer, I know enough to be dangerous on that score. But very often what you'll wind up seeing is that when the European Union approval comes through, a deal is consummated shortly thereafter. So they're one of the slower movers. Uh, and we should be following when if ever they actually wind up approving this deal uh, the way Microsoft or Activision Blizzard might otherwise want it. Now, they do say to their shareholders, although we expect that all required regulatory clearances and approvals will be obtained, we cannot assure you that these regulatory clearances and approvals will be timely obtained. We have no idea when they'll come. We're not in control of those agencies. Obtained at all. Or that the granting of these regulatory clearances and approvals will not involve the imposition of additional conditions on the completion of the merger or require changes to the terms of the merger agreement. And that's the proper kind of disclosure. We can't tell you what we don't know about these third-party regulators, especially the foreign jurisdictions, but even the United States. You don't know what the FTC is going to do. You don't know what any given person at the FTC is going to do or whether there'll be a new executive order from the Biden administration that tells them that they should be looking at things in a different way. I promised you that we'd see a bit of a longer summary of the legal proceedings. Following the announcement of the transaction, complaints were filed. We already went over all of those. They allege preliminary proxy statement issues. The Watson complaint alleges Blizzard's board of directors violated fiduciary duties. We saw that people are requesting books and records to potentially bring Mr. Kotick directly under fire here uh, for the way that he negotiated the deal with Microsoft. And then we see the summary of everything else happening. We've got a pending EEOC settlement. In September 2021, we entered into a proposed consent decree with the EEOC. However, we don't know whether that'll go through or not. The California Department of Fair Employment and Housing, the DFEH, filed a motion to intervene seeking to object to the consent decree, including the amount of the settlement fund, and has appealed denial of that motion. We'll see how that proceeds. And of course, the one that started it all on July 20th, 2021, the DFEH filed an action on August 3rd, 2021. A class action was filed alleging effectively that we didn't tell folks enough 
about the various investigations that we were involved in, or as described here, the putative derivative actions collectively assert claims on Activision Blizzard's behalf against 13 current or former officers and directors for breach of fiduciary duty, corporate waste, unjust enrichment, misappropriation, contribution, and alleged violation of the disclosure requirements of the Exchange Act. We knew that was happening. Activision Blizzard is cooperating with an investigation by the SEC we knew was happening regarding disclosures on employment matters and related issues, including responding to subpoenas. And then one case that we didn't discuss in this space, and maybe I should have when it happened, on March 3rd, 2022, a complaint was filed in the Superior Court of the State of California, County of Los Angeles, Caption Moynihan and Moynihan versus Activision Publishing. The complaint asserts claims for wrongful death, work environment, sexual harassment, and failure to prevent harassment in connection with the death of a female employee. So if you remember this story from the initial DFEH complaint, uh, the story goes that there was sexual harassment of a very specific type, uh, that you can check out those earlier videos uh, if you are interested, but very harrowing stuff. And that as a result of that harassment being allowed, uh, a female employee at Activision committed suicide. Uh, now, that's a tough claim to bring against a corporation because you have to tie the, the cause and effect together. It would be interesting to follow. Uh, it's not a direct part of the transaction. It's not a direct part of the DFEH complaints, uh, but obviously a very unfortunate state of affairs there. And this was brought by, I believe, the, the victim's family uh, in this respect. And uh, it's uh, obviously, it, it's terrible, terrible stuff. So we'll see where that goes. Uh, but Activision does note it here as more litigation. They also describe the unionization efforts uh, that we've talked about at Raven as follows. At Raven Software, one of our studios, the Communications Workers of America, has filed a petition to represent a unit of employees, and the National Labor Relations Board will oversee the election process, including a determination of the appropriate set of employees who would be included in any bargaining unit. And we, of course, discussed that at length in this playlist, talking about the labor union, talking about exactly what the NLRB would likely do in this state of circumstances and potential issues with framing the group that gets to vote on this kind of thing as solely QA at Raven in the way that they have done. So that'll be ongoing. But as you can see, when you look at all these things, you wouldn't begrudge an investor saying, I'm getting out of this. 95, fine. <laughs> It's it's the market price from immediately before all this happened. But look at all this stuff uh, that is going down with the company. Yes, I'll approve. Let's get this thing done. Let me get out of this investment. Wouldn't surprise me at all. But the big takeaway here, as I put in the thumbnail, the FTC does want that closer look, does make that second request as we thought would happen. No, it doesn't change the timeline. No, it doesn't change my predictions. It's still 80-20 on this particular deal going through materially the way that it was announced, uh, but it is an important step in looking at this transaction. I hope you enjoyed this walkthrough of now the definitive proxy statement. If you did enjoy these conversations, business and law, video games, pop culture, technology, and more, please consider supporting the channel. We've got a Patreon. We've got other ways to support us listed below or otherwise just subscribing, telling your friends, ringing bells, upvoting, downvoting, comments, engagement, all that good stuff. Every little bit helps. And the more that you help, the more YouTube notices us and the more we get this kind of information and hopefully educational content out there. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.